you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. You would please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, this is God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water, So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds. Every winged bird, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, 
livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Uh, Pastor, would you read over into chapter 2 again today? You did that last time. You did it again today. You're getting into chapter 2. Yeah, well, it's hard not to get into chapter 2. Because chapter 2 is where the conclusion of chapter 1 is, which we just read. And then you get a second account of the creation of man. Male and female. And the account in chapter 2, which we'll look at, God willing, next time, is is a little different than the account in chapter 1. Oh, is that a contradiction in the Bible? Not at all. No contradiction. Just like in the Gospels, we read about there being two men who were blind in one Gospel, and in another we read about one man who was blind. It seems to be the same event, but why does it talk about two in this one and talk about one in the other? Well, I could tell you that yesterday, up at my house, my grandson Titus was there. And I could tell you about what happened with Titus and so forth. It was all fine. Or I could tell you about the fact that yesterday at my house, Titus and his two sisters were there. Now, would that be a contradiction? Of course not. One, I'm focusing on Titus. The other one, I'm talking about all three who were there. So not a contradiction. No, not a contradiction at all. Chapter 2 of Genesis is not going to contradict anything in chapter 1. But it does explain some more things. And speaking of explaining things... It is very important for us to try and understand what is the point of the story? What is it that God is answering when he tells us what he tells us in this passage? When I was a teenager, 
One of the illustrious speakers who came to Montreat, North Carolina to speak to us was Dr. J. Edwin Orr. J. Edwin Orr had more degrees than a thermometer. He had multiple doctorates. He had written enough books that if you stacked them up, the stack would be taller than his height. Now, truth in advertising, he wasn't a very tall man. <laughs> he was, in fact, notably short. But still, most people don't write a book. Those who do generally don't have a stack of them, much less scholarly works, which his were. He was a famous scholar and teacher and revivalist. His main focus in his study was the history of revival. And if you ever want to go on YouTube and watch some J. Edwin Orr material, it's, it's worth it. He's good. He asked a question, though, and then gave two answers when he was speaking to us, and it, it stuck with me. I've not forgotten what he said. I think it's important. And when I teach from Genesis, I typically share what J. Edwin Orr said. So with credit to J. Edwin Orr for this illustration, let me share with you what he told us. He said, I want you to suppose that you're visiting in my home, and all of a sudden, the kettle in the kitchen starts to whistle. And so you ask me, why is the kettle whistling? And I say, well, in our home, our kitchen is equipped with an electric stove. And electrical current from the power plant down the road is wired into our home, and it comes all the way through the circuit breaker box and into that electric stove in the kitchen. And when the switch is turned on on the stove, that current flows into a metal coil that is designed to offer resistance to the current in such a way that it generates heat. The heat from that coil is transmitted through the copper bottom of the kettle that is sitting on top of it. And in the kettle, there's water. As the heat goes through that copper bottom, copper being a very good element for transferring heat, not impeding it so much like the burner does. See, the burner's a different kind of metal, and it, it resists the current. This just allows the heat to be transferred up into the water. And the consequence is the water begins to manifest what's called Brownian motion. The molecules of water become excited by the heat that is coming up, and they begin to move. And they move more and more vigorously until finally some of that liquid H2O is changed into a gaseous state. We call that steam. And the steam requires more room. It builds up pressure inside the top above the liquid water. In the space at the top of the kettle, it builds up pressure. And then it begins to force its way out of the opening, which is the little spout that has a lid on it. And, and as that steam comes out through that opening, the opening is designed uh, in such a way that it splits the column of, of gas that is coming out, of steam that's coming out. And, and that sets up vibrations in the air, which our ears perceive 
as a whistling sound. All that is true. That is scientifically accurate. But it really probably was not a satisfying answer to the question. He said, now that, that's my answer. He said, but my wife heard your question, and she says, the kettle is whistling because I'm about to make tea. Would you like some? <laughs> now, who's right, Dr. Orr or his wife? Well, actually, in this case, they're both right. But who really answered the question? I'd say Mrs. Orr is the answer I prefer. Now, what is Genesis, which is inspired by God, designed to tell us? What is it we really want to know? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Is there a purpose? Do I have meaning? Or am I just an accident? And Genesis answers that question so powerfully that it has been the means by which people have come to faith in God. Our dear friend Peter Ha, who was here tutoring several summers ago in our school, was taught atheism because he grew up in mainland China. And the official position of the government, and hence of all of the public schools, is that there is no God. That's all superstition. And it'll hurt you if you believe that stuff. And will hurt you if you believe that stuff. You need to know there is no God. That's what he was taught. But as he was pursuing his advanced degree in mathematics at the University of Beijing, which is no small accomplishment because China has more gifted people than the U.S. has people. <laughs> Understand? And in order for you to get that kind of education in China, you have got to be one of the gifted ones who is more gifted than some of the other gifted ones. And Peter was in the university studying. When it suddenly occurred to him, his field was mathematics, it suddenly occurred to him, what am I doing this for? I mean, if there is no God and there is no real meaning in life, why do I care? Why am I knocking myself out? What's the point in living? And so he left. He left the university and he embarked on a quest to find out what's true, what's real, what matters. And early in his journey, someone who found out what he was doing, you know, why are you not in school anymore? Someone who found out what he was up to said, you need to read a Bible. And Peter, thank God, got a Bible and started at the front. Began working his way through. Now, I would have recommended he start in John's Gospel, but that's because I'm used to dealing more with Western types. He started in Genesis, chapter 1. By the time he got through Genesis, chapter 3, Peter said, no man could have written this. There must be a God. And now I want to know him. 
And so he kept reading his Bible, and when he read through the Gospel of John, he said, I want to give my life to Jesus. I will follow him as long as I live. If you want to know the truth, God has revealed it in his word. And so I want you to see that in this passage that we read again this morning, Genesis chapter 1, what we are told is not all the details about how the land brought forth vegetation or how the land brought forth creatures, living creatures. What we're told instead is that God is the one who made it happen. God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know why? Because everything in the universe was formed at his command. God doesn't just have a lot of power. God has all power. His power is infinite. I can't really wrap my mind about that. That's because you're finite like me. Six days, God creating the earth in six days, I just can't see how he could do that. Well, then you're adult. I'm sorry. You really haven't understood the first thing. Because, you see, if God wanted to create everything in detail in six nanoseconds, that would not be a problem for an infinitely powerful, infinitely wise God. What God says comes to pass. That's not a stretch for him. So what we need to understand is what this is telling us over and over. God said this, and it happened. God said this, and it happened. God said this, and it happened. You want to know where everything came from? God. God made everything. And on the one hand, that means we look out at the stars at night and we're just blown away. Amazing. But don't worship the stars. Don't worship the creation. Worship the creator. And what Genesis 1 and 2 tell us is you need to trust him. You need to believe him. And what Genesis 3 is going to tell us is what happened because our first parents didn't. If you want to know why we're in a mess, it's because of what our first parents did. You say, well, I wish I'd been there. Well, you would have done the same thing. Why? Because they did it in innocence. You and I are born with a bent toward doing that stuff. We inherited a sin nature that makes us inclined to do the wrong thing. They didn't even have that. They had absolute freedom to choose good or evil, and they chose evil. They chose evil. Let me say that one more time. They chose evil. And God told them what the consequences would be before they made their choice. And that is, you'll die. And that is exactly what happened. Suddenly they found themselves ashamed, fearful, blaming each other, and even trying to blame God. That is a picture of what spiritual death 
looks like. God, with whom they had known perfect fellowship, now they're trying to hide from. That is what happens. That is what happens. So, where did it all come from? God made it. There is a pattern here that is important. And that is, in the first three days of creation, God was creating spheres of being. In the next three days, God created rulers for each of those spheres. Notice the interesting terminology that God uses to describe the purpose of what he made on day four. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God sent set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. What what is God saying he's done? He's saying, having created this sphere of creation, I am creating and installing rulers to govern on my behalf. God says, I put them in the sky to govern. On the fifth day, he made birds and the fish. And they ruled the sky and the sea. God said, having made all these creatures on the sixth day, he said, beginning in verse 26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them what? Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God decided, having made these animals, I'm going to make man in my likeness and put him in charge of the whole thing. Humans were created to rule the earth. Humans were designed to rule creation on God's behalf. We were to represent him, and that is why it is just so frustrating that our first parents submitted their will not to God, but to a serpent, to a creature. Oh, but it was the best looking of all the creatures. That means nothing. Just made him better able to seduce our first parents. But the fact of the matter is, we were the ones who were supposed to rule. Now I'll tell you one more thing about that that you need to know. If you have been born again and your life is now hidden in Christ, you are once again destined for the throne. God says that we will rule and reign with him for eternity. Hallelujah. You mean, I become royalty when I'm born again? Absolutely. I'm a child of the king. 
with Jesus my Savior, I'm a child of the King. Hallelujah. My status is not guaranteed by my ancestry. It is guaranteed by my Redeemer. He came to rescue nobodies and make us royalty who will rule with him. Revelation chapter 3, he says that he will let those who are faithful, those who overcome, sit with him on his throne, even as he overcame and was seated on the Father's throne. It is shared sovereignty, shared rule, and it is all by grace. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.